This is Thursday, September 30th. I'm Robert Walker, and welcome to the Honest Report podcast. There is perhaps no bigger bludgeon that anti-Israel activists use against Israel um, than the issue of Palestinian refugees. That is that 800,000 Palestinian refugees were allegedly forcibly expelled from Israel upon Israel's independence in 1948, and today represent the largest refugee population in the world. Um, and there's an organization, of course, called UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Works Agency, which uh, we've talked a lot about in Honest Reporting Canada in the past, which we want to talk about today. And certainly there's no bigger expert, perhaps, than our next guest, and that is Asaf Romorowski, who's going to discuss that with us. Uh, Asaf is a political commentator. Uh, he's a historian of the Middle East, and he serves as the executive director of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. And he's also a fellow at the Middle East Forum. Asaf, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Asaf, you've written uh, quite extensively in the past, of course, about uh, about UNRWA and about its uh, not only its sort of nefarious funding uh, and its connections to groups like Hamas, but also really its larger, let's say, ideological goals vis-a-vis -vis Israel. For those people who are listening who may not be very familiar, maybe they've read the acronym UNRWA, but they really don't know anything about it. Really, what is it and why is it such a problem? Sure. Uh, well, thank you for that. And thank you again for having me. Uh, I've spent the last part of the past 20 years uh, researching the anomaly of Arab-Palestinian refugees. Uh, much of my public work and as well as my academic work um, uh, you know, as an outgrowth of some of my doctoral research related to the Arab-Palestinian refugees. UNRWA is the gatekeeper, for your listeners to understand, of the existence of Arab-Palestinian refugees and the existence of the so-called right of return, uh, ensuring the fact that basically the, the use of our Palestinian refugees as pawns uh, with the sole goal ultimately of the dissolution of the state of Israel through demographics, uh, warfare, uh, and uh, really through the sheer political ideological understanding of how they perceive the issue. UNRWA is unique in the sense that it was created as a temporary organization. I, I highlight and underscore uh, many times over the word temporary that has no end uh, and was created um, by Palestinians and by the Arab world uh, and basically has been hijacked by the clients they claim to represent. It's a case study of, you know, basically that, that kind of uh, the world upside down where the client has hijacked a service provider. UNRWA has uniquely defined Arab Palestinians, uh, you know, and this is, I'm paraphrasing, who is an Arab Palestinian refugee, is anybody who is in mandatory Palestine from 1946 to 1948. Of course, I highlight, historically speaking, two years prior to the creation of the modern state of Israel. And the kicker, of course, is that UNRWA has a lineage aspect, the fact that UNRWA has, that no other refugee population and organization has, a hereditary aspect that one can inherit refugee status, which is really the origin of why Arab Palestinians and UNRWA today, according to their books, claims to have millions and millions of refugees, all demanding a full right of return, basically um, in the areas uh, you know, basically replacing the state of Israel with, our, with flooding the state of Israel uh, with our Palestinian refugees uh, in order to uh, remove Israel by demographics. In, in the, right. in, so, 
Sorry, go ahead. I said I was saying in a nutshell, those are, you know, uh, to begin, you know, kind of framing that conversation. I think those are the key, you know, part that we should discuss. So really, I mean, the, at the risk of sounding naive, I mean, it, it sounds like really the biggest victims, of course, of this um, of this scam or the scandal are not not Israel. I mean, Israel, of course, is facing uh, defamation as a result of, uh, of, of UNRWA, but really it's the Palestinians who are being uh, denied really um, this kind of, uh, I, I don't know, there's this uh, expression uh, coined by David Frum, the soft bigotry of low expectations, uh, which is really that the, you know, in this case, the Palestinians, I suppose, are being treated uh, like children in a sense without really, and they're being abused. Would you agree with that characterization that UNRWA is really harming the Palestinians as it were more than anybody else? Yes, I think that uh, even more than that, uh, the Palestinians and the Arab Palestinian refugees at large have been used as pawns uh, by the Arab world. They've been used as a um, the imagery of refugeeness, statelessness, uh, with the with the idea of putting the blame on uh, on Israel and the West, for that matter, is part is by design the creation of UNRWA. Um, the this has to do historically speaking from the understanding of the reality of 1948 and the lack of acceptance of the reality of 48 which the arab palestinians defined of course as the nakba the catastrophic creation of the state of israel the nakba narrative within that historical understanding is that the nakba was the catastrophic creation of the state of israel and the consistent reminder of the Nakba and its catastrophic uh, creation magnanimously worldwide are, of course, the Arab Palestinian refugees. That being, that, bearing that in mind, that is the same reason why no Arab country, with the exception of Jordan and, and really up until uh, the um, 2008, 2010, a little bit, you know, during the Arab Spring, uh, Lebanon somewhat, but that's a different status as far as categorization, has ever offered the Arab-Palestinian citizenship with the idea of using them as a weapon, as a tool to validate and remind the world that the biggest atrocity the world has ever seen has to do with the existence of Arab-Palestinian refugees and the Nakba at large. That's the the kind of historical landscape that we're talking about here. So, you know, one can understand then why the Palestinian leadership uh, would benefit from, uh, from, as you said, sort of um, using the Palestinians as a, as a victim, uh, you know, perpetual victim. But why would the Palestinian population at large um, be willing to sort of uh, let itself be, let's say, misled uh, purposefully into having this kind of... Um, expectation that uh, that's not really going to ever materialize. In other words, is there really an acknowledgement on the part of your average Palestinian that UNRWA really isn't serving them, but it's really keeping them in a state of perpetual victimhood? Or have they really been hoodwinked, so to speak, by this uh, effective propaganda campaign? It's more than UNRWA. I, I would say that, you know, what's I think it's important for your listeners to understand is that is the origins of Palestinian identity. Arab Palestinian identity is rooted in Palestinian refugees. So, it, it, you know, with that understanding, if one, if one tells a Palestinian one is no longer a refugee, it says one is no longer a Palestinian. And that is the reason why Palestinians have refused to shed um, their, their refugees. And that narrative 
has been sold to them from the beginning. And this is the consistent narrative. And you can find, by the way, quotations that I have looked at over the years, Arab leaders from Nasser to individuals like, uh, you know, Gaddafi, of course, Yasser Arafat, even individuals like Osama bin Laden, who have basically made these kind of propagandish claims saying we're never going to rest until we solve the Arab-Palestinian refugee problem or the right of return. I mean, these are the kind of, uh, in order to galvanize the troops, so to speak, uh, in order to uh, get behind this ideology with no intention of making it happen. The, so Palestinians have been caught with this understanding that this is what is going to ensure their identity and remind it to the world. Look, even today in, in American politics, I'm based out of Pennsylvania, you can talk about individuals like uh, Rashida Tlaib and others who've also, you've heard her talk about using her Palestinian you know, uh, heritage and talking about you know, her refugeeness. These are things that have been translated into uh, politics and culture um, within the Palestinian areas and within what is considered to be the Palestinian diaspora uh, as a way to remind the world of, again, 1948. Uh, and that has been consistent. And that's where UNRWA has been successful because UNRWA maintains that sense of refugeeness, statelessness. And, and if you look back at the conversations between Israelis and Palestinians, they've, also been, they've always been centered on three issues the territorial issues, Jerusalem as a shared capital, and the right of return. I would argue that the most, uh, what is the guarantor, that the conflict will never ever end, is the existence of the so-called right of return, the Palestinian refugees, which is the reason why no Arab Palestinian leader has ever agreed to forgo the right of return, despite compromises and offers that have been made over the years. Actually, the right of return has been translated and perceived as a divine right, that is to say that no Arab leader and no Palestinian leader for sure has the right to give up that right. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, it's been pointed out in the past that, you know, this kind of incitement that uh, that you see certainly from Palestinian media, from, um, from UNRWA, etc., really handicaps any future Palestinian leader from negotiating in good faith with with Israel, because how can you negotiate in good faith with with Israel and convince your population that Israel is a viable peace partner when you've spent the last seventy years convincing your population that Israel is a cancer upon the Middle East, etc.? I mean, have they sort of painted themselves in a corner here? What's how do they get out of that? Well, th this was the Arafat strategy and the PLO strategy all along, with the idea of ensuring and making the Palestinian cause, the centerpiece issue of the Arab world, and of course, the Palestinian narrative at large. Uh, everybody has a refugee story. I mean, American Jews do. Americans at large have all been able to share their refugee stories, uh, you know, and how they got to. The uniqueness about, you know, the differences is that we've been able to, uh, you know, incorporate that into our lives and move on and become who we've become. The Palestinians have refused to do that. And this has become their collective memory story that continues to perpetuate from generation to generation. Uh, the lineage aspect, which is really the uniqueness of Arab-Palestinian refugees in the UNRWA definition is what maintains the hereditary aspect that continues from one generation to the next. 
In contrast to UNRWA, it's also important to note uh, for your listeners to understand, there is a sister um, refugee organization called UNHCR, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. They, in contrast to UNRWA, only define a refugee as a, a refugee can only be for one generation. If you were to, for example, take the definition of UNHCR and parachute that within the definition of UNRWA based on um, the, the original refugees of 48, 49, again, there's been a debate about the numbers and you know there has been a, a great deal of conversation about the Obama administration not declassifying numbers or declassifying numbers when it comes to how many actually existed. But we estimate that there are about no more than between 30 and 40,000 actual refugees of 1948-49 if they were to adopt the UNHCR number. Those numbers actually have been accepted by Israel, but not only that, the state of Israel in brokerage with the, with the, you know, with the United States and others have agreed to accept larger numbers than that uh, and pay reparations, but the demand has been, and also if you look at the record of uh, some congressional law that has been suggested, is basically ending the right of return. There has to be a bookend to when does the right of return actually end? And by extension, of course, above all, the superficial growth of numbers uh, from generation to generation. Because at the rate we're going at now, if UNRWA claims between seven to eight million refugees worldwide, at the current rate, it's gonna be 20 million, it's gonna be 25 million. It's not sustainable. But the, the architecture is done exactly by design in order to put you know, this kind of economic, demographic, uh, structural warfare against Israel to uh, basically uh, dissolve it. And that, that's the game that has been played uh, over the past 70 years. Right. And one can certainly understand why there is incentive in that. But you're telling me then, and certainly this is my understanding as well, that the international uh, really definition or understanding of, of refugees does not pass sort of uh, in a hereditary way from generation to generation. You know, help me understand this off maybe some context. How is it that UNRWA or in general, the Palestinian refugee uh, industry, if you want to call it that, has been able to define refugees in a way so utterly unlike every other um, context? So UNRWA's advantage has been that UNRWA was created a few months prior to the UNHCR. And so uh, because of that, uh, as I said in our earlier remarks, they, they were, they've been able to define and uh, redefine who they are. And they were originally created, the word was used as a temporary special case study, temporary that has no end. Actually, you saw a expansion of definitions within UNRWA. The best example I can give you is, of course, in the 60s and 70s. So uh, Muslim and Palestinian uh, lineage is patriarchal, uh, you know, according to their understanding, you know, as a way that they define their societies. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, they were able to make it matriarchal as well. So immediately they were able to double the numbers. And so at, at, every, at every juncture, there has been a structural expansion of who is a Palestinian refugee, uh, you know, and created this so-called um, quote unquote natural growth. Uh, of the numbers. And so UNRWA is also by definition, according to the General Assembly, was created as an Article 22. Article 22 agencies are based on voluntary contributions and, and they've allowed this flexibility to allow this to happen. Uh, the Arab world, you know, in turn, 
because it refused to accept responsibility for 1948. And if they did acknowledge that they have anything to do with the existence of Arab-Palestinian refugees, they would say they would have a hand in it. So their way of refusing to accept the reality of 48 and their denial of that reality is to pour in large sums of money into UNRWA to ensure the fact that UNRWA would be the gatekeeper of the Palestinians and the advocate of the existence of Arab-Palestinian refugees. And of course, it's Israel's problem, not theirs. And that way, they've been able to deflect any responsibility on the reality of what actually took place in 48-49. So what is, what's the potential, really, then the, uh, then the future uh, can hold for this? I mean, certainly Canada, uh, as, you're, as you're familiar, uh, is, a, is a funder, uh, a significant funder to UNRWA, and there's certainly been a, a lot of, um, uh, I think, concern in the, in, the, uh, in the Jewish community, in the community support of Israel, that uh, what kind of oversight there is. Um, and yet, I suppose when one reads sort of news media articles, UNRWA is portrayed really just as a very legitimate, very, um, you know, mainstream organization that uh, that's sort of uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt it's um, it's trustworthiness what what does the future hold for this I mean is this sort of stuck or is there any way out of this well I mean you mentioned un- Canadian funding and there's been also uh, up until the Trump administration and now under the Biden administration the money has been uh, renewed uh, the United States represents about a third of UNRWA's annual budget and a ton of about 400 million dollars of American taxpayer dollars. Uh, Canada has also put in millions of dollars. The symptoms of UNRWA's problems are derivative of its lack of transparency and accountability. Uh, The incitement in UNRWA textbooks, UNRWA schools, uh, their connection with Islamist groups. uh, All of these are part of the problems that UNRWA actually does. UNRWA actually does not um, solve the Arab-Palestinian refugee problem, actually it perpetuates it and metastasizes the growth uh, 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 you know, that plays into this of uh, the problem. One of the reasons early back under the Harper government, when Canada was the first Western country to defund from UNRWA, uh, they based that defunding actually on EU report that highlighted the, um, the incitement within Palestinian textbooks. Nothing has changed. One should argue, and actually I wrote a piece about this, uh, I believe in the National Post at the time, asking the question, you know, why is, why is Canada refunding its efforts again? Has UNRWA made enough strides to prove that they have reformed their ways? And the answer is no. Uh, actually, the, 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 this is all grown. I mean, if you look even at the past... Um, um, war that Israel fought in Gaza in, la- in this past May, you also saw UNRWA's involvement as far as munitions being, you know, hidden in UNRWA schools, the use of UNRWA buildings. Uh, these are things that have been uh, part and parcel uh, of, the, uh, of the consistent UNRWA narrative, uh, which to show you that UNRWA is, n- is not a neutral party uh, and is actually a-, a real problem. And I think that um, Western donors and, and stakeholders need to hold uh, UNRWA accountable. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the positive things that came out of under Nikki Haley and the Trump administration 
um, when when Nikki when Nikki Haley was the ambassador to the United Nations was a defunding of UNRWA and saying you know somebody needs to look and show me where this money has been going on. Uh, by the way, it's not been uh, you know just to be clear, there has been a bipartisan effort historically speaking in the United States. Uh, going back to the days of trying to get UNRWA for accountability and transparency, going back to the days of the late Tom Lantos. Um, so it came from both Democrats and Republicans trying to understand what UNRWA actually does and how it actually functions. There has been congressional language about UNRWA's ties to terrorism since the 1970s. Um, so there's a long history of trying to understand this, um, but every time UNRWA is questioned about what it does, or, or have the audacity to ask UNRWA for an audit, uh, UNRWA, you know, stands on its high heels and says, how dare you when we are helping the poor Arab Palestinian refugees. And in Western terminology, uh, when one says the word refugee, there is a perception that people are fleeing for their lives, no running water, let alone um, no Wi-Fi. That is not the case uh, within the Arab Palestinian infrastructure. Uh, and uh, this is part of the, the, the disconnect between what is actually happening on the ground and, and what Western countries perceive to be happening on the ground. Well, that is, um, I think, a very sobering assessment, but uh, a very, very helpful uh, overview of, uh, of what's going on on the ground. Uh, Asaf Ramorowski, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Again, that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our alerts, subscribe to our podcast, leave a review. And if you like what you heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts. You can do so at honestreporting.ca slash donate. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.